This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good afternoon. I'm Chip Schooley from the Division of Infectious Diseases at UC San Diego, and I'm delighted to have an opportunity to talk to you today about the SARS coronavirus 2 and its impact on the human population. Most of us have been focused on this coronavirus since we first began to learn of its uh, uh, movement in our direction, beginning uh, with its first appearance in Wuhan, China, uh, probably as far back as October of 2019, but not coming to our attention until late December, or early January. Wuhan is a city about halfway between uh, Beijing uh, and Hong Kong, large industrial city uh, where in the uh, late weeks of December, people and physicians in that city began to notice uh, the appearance of a uh, a respiratory virus that was uh, spreading through the community. This respiratory virus uh, came to be COVID-19, and I'll spend most of this uh, morning, this afternoon, talking about how COVID-19 has come to affect all of us. We know now that COVID-19 is a beta coronavirus that shares many features with other coronaviruses, in particular, an RNA-dependent RNA polymerase uh, that is error-prone, but not as error-prone as most RNA polymerases in that it has a check mechanism to improve replicative fidelity. This allows the virus to to evolve over time, but less rapidly than HIV and influenza, which may have some implications for both vaccine development and for recurrence of the the, uh, epidemic uh, in waves coming into the future. Uh, The virus has high rates of RNA recombination nonetheless, and it does evolve rapidly enough. Uh, its uh, other um, cousins that we'll talk about in man evolve rapidly enough to cause repetitive waves of illness in the human population. It has a very plastic surface glycoprotein that plays a very important role in determining both host specificity in terms of species and organ specificity, which is what drives the clinical manifestations of this disease. In particular, the very tip of the spike of the coronavirus uh, out here on the end of this spike on these uh, spikes that give the appearance of a crown, hence coronavirus. This, the specificity of this tip, the fine structure, is what defines the host range of uh, most coronaviruses. The particular coronavirus we're dealing with right now uh, binds very tightly to the ACE2 receptor, and this ACE2 receptor is found uh, predominantly in the lungs and in the GI tract, and indeed, most of the clinical manifestations uh, are seen uh, in the lungs and to a lesser extent in the GI, in the GI tract. The disease appears as a patchy uh, infiltrative process throughout multiple lungs, uh, lung fields uh, by chest x-ray. And as we'll discuss, the clinical manifestations vary quite a bit from person to person. The species range is also defined uh, by the, um, the uh, spike protein of, of uh, coronaviruses. This particular coronavirus, as I mentioned, uh, targets the ACE2 receptor, and there are substantial ACE2 receptor homologies among mammalian species. You can see, for example, along the top with the human ACE2 uh, sequence uh, being shown here, uh, you can see that that primate uh, sequences are really quite close. And even uh, when you get down to uh, a bit further uh, and see uh, the hamster, you can see uh, some homolo- quite a bit of homology between the hamster and humans, which reflects the fact that this uh, particular coronavirus can infect Syrian hamsters. Uh, here's a very nice study by 
KYUN and his colleagues uh, published in Clinical Infectious Diseases that shows that when challenged uh, with SARS-CoV-2, that uh, this um, species will lose weight, as shown in the red line, and gradually gain weight as they recover, like most humans do. And you can see to the right uh, that virus is shed from the turbinate uh, and, from the, and from the lung uh, for the first four days of infection, and then is gradually cleared. This is going to be, I think, a very good animal model of this disease. In other animal species, we're just beginning to learn uh, the full story. It can infect ferrets. Uh, there have been isolations of uh, this virus from an occasional dog and occasional cats. Uh, we don't think that these cause, uh, uh, that these are um, either major destinations or major sources of, of infections in a human zoonosis, but something that uh, reflects again uh, the, um, the loose homologies of the ACE receptors uh, in these animals compared to humans. The place that coronaviruses thrive uh, in terms of species uh, turns out to be bats. Uh, bats are an ancient species that go back to over 50 million years uh, with tremendous biological diversity. There are almost 1,250 species, and they account for almost 25% of all mammalian species. One of the things that bats have done to facilitate flying is to drop their bone marrow, and thus they have no B cells. And this allows uh, them to uh, harbor pathogens for long periods of time, and particularly viruses, uh, which in some ways allows them to be uh, flying, um, wide-ranging flying uh, flasks of virus that have enabled them to become very important uh, in the uh, cross-species transmission of uh, of uh, multiple pathogens from uh, bats uh, to mammalian species. A few examples of this, obviously, are Nipah virus, which is, uh, has a natural host of flying foxes. SARS, COVID, uh, we know, was uh, transferred by horseshoe bats to palm civets, as we'll discuss in a bit. Uh, and you can see that uh, we think that uh, mers cov was also transmitted by an unknown type of bat uh, through dromedary camels, as we'll discuss a bit later. Coronavirus has been around humans for a very long period of time. Uh, you can see at the top of the slide, there are three coronavirus species that have been found in by uh, genomic archaeology to be present in humans for hundreds of years. These coronavirus strains tend to cause mild upper respiratory uh, illnesses, uh, the so-called uh, non-influenza colds we get from time to time, generally self-limiting, from which we do very well. We've acclimated to these extremely well over time. At the bottom of the slide, you'll see three coronaviruses uh, with uh, bolded uh, species um, designations, SARS-CoV, MERS-CoV, and SARS-CoV-2. The three coronaviruses we'll talk about today. These have have, uh, crossed into the human population uh, during this century, and each time this has happened uh, has led to major morbidity and substantial mortality. Now, the coronaviruses to which we are, uh, accom- are accommodated are ones that generally, as I said, cause mild respiratory illness with occasional exceptions, uh, more often in people with underlying disease or the very old. They're found throughout the world and they tend to bounce around from northern to southern hemisphere, uh, depending on the time of year. Uh, and on a given year may cause up to a third of the colds that uh, one present that we present uh, with to uh, to physicians' offices, and very often when a physician does a uh, rapid test for influenza, doesn't find flu and tells you it's probably a virus, it's most probably a coronavirus or one of uh, or one of a few other viruses on a very short list. 
Coronaviruses, uh, particularly SARS-CoV and uh, CoV-2, can also bind to receptors in the GI tract that are shared with some in the lungs, and therefore respiratory illness. And some of the times, uh, this uh, biology can lead to clinical manifestations uh, in uh, the GI tract and certainly can lead to prolonged shedding from the GI tract. Now, these coronaviruses were kind of a backwater of science and medicine with very little attention being paid until 2002 uh, when a coronavirus spilled over into the human population in Guangzhou, China, uh, and came to our attention when it uh, moved into Hong Kong and was found to uh, uh, spread rapidly within hospitals uh, among healthcare workers, patients, and visitors uh, who uh, came to, uh, to the hospital and then transmitted this virus back to residential settings. It was found relatively quickly by KYUN and others that this was a coronavirus. And in looking uh, carefully at where this virus was uh, found in nature, the palm civet was found to be the uh, intermediate host uh, between bats, it turns out, and humans. It was thought that palm civets, which were uh, being uh, sold in informal meat markets, uh, was the bridging species that allowed SARS coronavirus to get to the human population. This virus got our attention because it could cause severe disease. Uh, it caused headache, fever, uh, and myalgia uh, without a lot of rhinorrhea and the typical uh, sneezing and so forth caused by upper respiratory illnesses like influenza. Uh, and uh, occasionally uh, patients will get non-productive cough and dyspnea, uh, not infrequently uh, developing diarrhea. On chest x-rays, uh, one could see scattered airspace disease uh, reflecting the fact that the virus had a propensity to go under the lower respiratory tree relatively easily. Uh, and about 25% of the time, people with SARS coronavirus progressed to develop severe respiratory illness uh, and uh, uh, so-called acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is how the virus uh, syndrome got its name. Uh, this is seen more often uh, in people who are over the age of 50, particularly those with underlying diseases and in particular hypertension, diabetes, hepatitis, and cardiac disease. In these patients, uh, the virus could lead to a substantial mortality rate. Overall, the mortality rate was about 10%, but in some of the people who were over 50 with comorbid conditions, the mortality rate was 25% or more. As you can see here, uh, overall, there were about 8,000 cases that uh, occurred around the world uh, and were brought to an end by 2003 mainly because of very, very vigorous epidemiologic interventions. Uh, once uh, people realized what a problem this was, when a case was found, uh, case control uh, experts jumped on the case, isolated the patient, isolated contacts, took people to hospitals with negative respiratory, with negative uh, pressure, and very quickly uh, ended this uh, epidemic uh, with only about 8,000 cases, and as I said, about a mortality rate of about 10% particularly in those over the age of uh, 65. Uh, and those over 65 with medical conditions, over half the pe people uh, with this disease, with this particular virus, uh, often died. And curiously enough, and as we'll discuss uh, with SARS-CoV-2, our new uh, friend, uh, the virus caused very little morbidity uh, in uh, children. Now this subsided, we didn't pay much attention to coronaviruses once it was extinguished, as far as we could tell. Uh, the only two cases after the outbreak were two laboratory-associated cases where the virus escaped from a hood that people were working with. And people forgot about coronaviruses until about 10 years later, when the Middle East respiratory syndrome appeared, initially in Saudi Arabia, but then spread to Europe, uh, Korea, and elsewhere. 
uh, and led to a disease that was even more severe than SARS, uh, with mortality rates as high as 40 or 50 percent. Again, particularly uh, morbid in people who were older and had underlying conditions. This virus was found to have used camels as its intermediate host uh, and was found uh, in uh, asymptomatic uh, camels uh, by just doing uh, mouth uh, swabs of camels and uh, by PCR, finding that uh, asymptomatic shedding was not infrequent. And that when one did serologic studies of camels, uh, very frequently throughout the Middle East, it was found that these uh, animals had were uh, harbor had antibodies suggesting that this was uh, endogenous to uh, camels throughout the Middle East. Uh, it was thought that the virus spread uh, from camels to people. Camels live in close uh, contiguity to people. And once it got into people, it spread particularly in hospital settings to other people. And by this route, managed to escape from its uh, geographic uh, habitat uh, in, um, in the Middle East. This uh, virus was spread very much like uh, the SARS coronavirus uh, by living in close proximity, but it also was spread uh, by people who drank unpasteurized uh, uh, ca- uh, camel's milk uh, and could also be passed uh, by camel urine or dung, reflecting the fact that it too uh, was uh, shed in the GI tract. This virus has, for the most part, been controlled as well, and uh, uh, the research community got very heavily involved in studying it. Uh, then were uh, encouraged to go on to other uh, areas of uh, work uh, as the funding streams dried up until about four months ago uh, when a uh, illness appeared in Wuhan, China, characterized by fever, dry cough, fatigue, and very much the same symptoms that, was, that were uh, seen in the original SARS outbreak in um, Hong Kong and uh, Guangzhou 20 years earlier. Because of this earlier experience in that region of the world with uh, the SARS coronavirus, this was very quickly found out to be a coronavirus and clinical characterization occurred quickly. It was found that uh, in the initial cases, about 70 or 80% of people had uh, mild disease or moderate disease of presentation. And most of these did pretty well over a six or seven day period. Some had more severe disease or critical disease as they appeared, and many of these went on to morbidity, uh, substantial morbidity or death from respiratory illness over the course of two to three weeks. Those with milder disease occasionally did as well, often but not always with underlying conditions, but less frequently than those who presented with more severe disease. As we learned about this virus, we found that it was uh, a bigger problem in people in their middle ages, in their 50s, in terms of the clinical epidemiology. Uh, we'll discuss the, uh, the uh, subclinical epidemiology in a bit, and that its morbidity and mortality increased substantially as uh, patients uh, aged. You can see that under the age of 50, uh, the mortality rate was relatively low, but as one goes uh, into the 60s, 70s, and 80s, mortality rates increase uh, substantially, in particular in patients who have comorbid conditions, including hypertension, chronic lung disease, diabetes, and obesity. Uh, These folks uh, do very badly uh, and have accounted for most of the morbidity and mortality. Now, why has this virus spread so quickly? Well, the thing that's unique about this virus is that it is found in the lungs very quickly after uh, primary infection and spills over into the nasopharyngeal uh, compartment uh, in high titers even before people present with clinical manifestations. As you can see in this, uh, in this uh, depiction of uh, viral shedding, uh, looking at the, um, 
along the x-axis at time after clinical symptomatology. This person who happened to be tested the day uh, before symptoms arrived had already had uh, seven to, to nine logs of uh, virus in uh, the uh, throat swabs and in sputum. And these are the people who are most responsible for a large fraction of transmissions in the general community. Uh, this virus is a bit different from the original SARS coronavirus. The original SARS coronavirus 20 years ago uh, was not at maximal titer at presentation, but rather rose over the first two or three days of symptomatology and then fell again. Why is this? Well, KYUN has done some very nice work with this particular coronavirus and found that in human lung explants, that it grows about three and a half times as rapidly as the original SARS coronavirus, so there's explosive growth in human lung, and that one of the things that it does not do is induce gamma and lambda interferon, which is something that SARS coronavirus, the original one, did. So what this virus seems to do is to undermine the innate immune response, uh, grows explosively in lungs, and spreads very quickly before patients present with symptoms that are associated with induction of cytokines as the cytokine shield is gradually eroded. People shed virus for uh, up to two to three weeks in nasopharyngeal swabs, uh, in sputum, and also in the, from the GI tract. The spreading pattern is very important in epidemiology. This is a uh, case report from clinical infectious diseases showing a family that illustrate the fact that transmission of the asymptomatic phase uh, is not infrequent. This is a family that included a grandfather and a grandmother who visited a temple celebration uh, while their uh, daughter, son-in-law, and two grandchildren were living with them for a visit. Uh, the uh, daughter uh, and the fa her family left the house after several days. The next day, the grandfather developed fever and fatigue and uh, ultimately was found to be uh, carrying, uh, to have uh, COVID-19, to be carrying SARS coronavirus and shutting it from his, um, from his nasal pharynx. His wife remained asymptomatic throughout the this entire uh, period, but was also uh, shedding SARS coronavirus. The four family members who went back to their hometown then uh, were found, uh, as they were worked up, three of the four became infected with the SARS coronavirus. One of those uh, three didn't have symptoms. The other two did have symptoms. One escaped being infected, but all three of the other people living in the house that they went back to uh, became infected, uh, all of those with symptoms. So the point here is that this virus spreads very well in close contact, spreads in families, and spreads uh, before uh, people are, are symptomatic. This virus exploded through China, uh, and within a couple of months, there were 80,000 people infected throughout the country. China responded by a very vigorous lockdown, uh, with a cordon being placed around uh, most of Hubei province uh, and stay-at-home orders throughout uh, much of China, with 1.4 billion people staying home for a 10-day period. And as you can see what that led to, uh, the original trajectory, which was explosive, was truncated, and there was a uh, re relatively rapid uh, decay of virus over the course of the next uh, several weeks. And China now has very few cases of the SARS uh, coronavirus 2 uh, within mainland China. Now, as things were cooling off in China, they picked up in other parts of the world uh, and spread uh, first regionally to uh, Japan, Korea, uh, Thailand, Australia, New Zealand, but really took off when the virus got to the Middle East, particularly Iran, Europe, and the United States. Today, the United States is the biggest um, 
a destination for the virus with over 3 million cases uh, and uh, now heading for 70,000 deaths. Distribution in the U.S. is relatively uh, heterogeneous. You can see that there are hotspots like New York City, Atlanta, and uh, New Orleans, but there are other places like uh, Native American reservations in eastern uh, Arizona that have just as high an incidence rate as is seen uh, in urban areas of the Northeast. Now, what can we do about the virus? How can we get this genie back in the bottle? Well, the thing that we have relied on so far has been social distancing. And this relies on the fact that the virus is spread primarily uh, by uh, droplets and to a lesser extent by aerosols and by fomites that we uh, touch uh, and uh, that we share with other people. By spreading us out so that we're not breathing on each other as much and not sharing objects as much and staying home, the opportunity for the virus to cause secondary spread uh, has been substantially decreased. And we've seen decreases in the rate of rise of the virus in many parts of the U.S. so far uh, and an aversion of a large number of deaths. And some very nice work uh, done by Natasha Martin, a mathematical modeler, and her husband, Tom Martin, here in San Diego, you can see in the histogram the number of deaths in San Diego County uh, over the course of the last uh, uh, month and a half. You can see we've had uh, about 130 deaths. Uh, but you can see what would have happened if we hadn't done social distancing, which began on March 16th, based on the trajectory at the time. We've averted uh, about 12,000 deaths here in San Diego County by what we've done. And this has been seen in other parts of the world uh, where this has been done as well. The concern, of course, now is that if we back off before the virus is uh, substantially more de uh, decreased in the population, uh, we'll be seeing it come back just as rapidly. Uh, the second uh, uh, potential intervention scheme would be vaccines. Uh, there currently is uh, there currently are no uh, uh, corona vaccines for any human coronavirus. But there's a very vigorous vaccine effort uh, using a number of very elegant platforms uh, that are already moving into phase one and two clinical trials. Uh, a couple of caveats are that the virus is not as immunogenic in aged populations, uh, either when human vaccine trials have been done with other coronaviruses or in animal models of, of coronavirus disease. Coronavirus disease is also genetically diverse in animal models, most of the production that's been seen in the animal model studies with vaccines has been with homologous virus. And there are also some concerns about potential, the potential of enhancing antibodies with some experience with some cat coronavirus vaccines. Uh, no reason to think for certain it'll happen in humans, but something certainly to look for. And then finally, drugs. Uh, many people jump to saying we have to have a vaccine, but that's what they said in 1984 uh, with uh, HIV. We're now uh, many years past the two-year window when we would have AIDS vaccines out in the population with no AIDS vaccine, but a very different disease because of antiretroviral drugs. And what we've already been able to uh, determine with uh, SARS coronavirus 2 is that inhibiting viral replication will have a positive impact on the disease, very much as we did in the first AZT studies uh, with HIV. And a study that was uh, stopped by the Data Safety Monitoring Board last uh, week and that has been carried on here at UC San Diego and elsewhere. A study that ultimately enrolled about 1,000 patients but stopped after 400 and reached their 28-day endpoint. Uh, those who in this placebo-controlled randomized prospective study had received remdesivir had a, about a 31% reduction in uh, time to recovery uh, and a mortality trend of about 37% reduction in death 
that I suspect when the remaining uh, patients are analyzed, uh, we'll go ahead and cross the 0.05 statistical threshold. If we can develop uh, drugs like this that are available by uh, an oral uh, an oral formulation, remdesivir as intravenous, or some long-active uh, preparation, we may well have tools that can at least provide us a bridge to a vaccine uh, as we uh, try to uh, tamp down this virus in the general population. The bad news is that unlike SARS coronavirus 1 and MERS, this genie is very much out of the bottle around the world and one that will be with us until we have uh, more effective mitigation approaches. So I'll close here and just say that uh, these coronaviruses are ones that take to the air. Uh, they take to the air in bats and spread to uh, either directly to humans through, through direct contact with bats or indirectly to humans through bridging animals like uh, camels and uh, palm civets. Uh, we spread them around uh, by uh, coughing um, very much as we did with Ebola and perhaps also with aerosol transmission, as has been done with, as we know, happens with measles and other childhood diseases. And we spread them around the world uh, by our travel. Uh, the things that have changed uh, with these cross-species um, transmissions, which we know have been occurring for many, many, many years uh, uh, are that we have changed. The world has changed. We're much more interconnected. Uh, we have much more travel. Uh, we live in much denser populations. And I suspect that many of the introductions in the past that have been dead ends, uh, we've now allowed to propagate uh, with our interconnected global world. So going forward, uh, in terms of the impact of these sorts of viruses on the human population, I think the take-home message is we have many more tools than we ever had in the past to deal with them but we have much more at stake because uh, we've provided these viruses and other pathogens that come from uh, animal species a much wider avenue to spread among us uh, and cause major morbidity and mortality. Thanks very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.